Hello, Craig. Hi, Craig. Hello, Craig. Hey, Craig. Hi, Craig. And hello, everyone. Welcome to the paddock. It's time for Silverstone, and we're coming to you with a race prediction. On the episode, we have Meg, Amy, Ito, Melissa, Leanne, and myself, Chelsea. And we're going to start off with a nice little history lesson from Melissa. Thank you, Chels. I hope you guys are ready for a nice history lesson because I definitely learned a lot going over this information about Silverstone. So let's get started. The Silverstone Circuit is located in England near the Northamptonshire villages of Towchester, Silverstone, and Willowbury. The circuit itself is located on the site of the Royal Air Force Bomber Station, which was operational from 1943 to 1946. The circuit is 3.661 miles long, or if you're outside the United States, it's 5.891 kilometers long, with 18 turns. Even though many F1 teams are based in the UK, recently Aston Martin themselves are the closest, having just built their location under one kilometer Again, for our U.S. fans and listeners, that's just a little over half a mile away from the circuit itself. In 1947, an ad hoc group of friends decided to have an impromptu race on the track. One individual, being Maurice Geohagen, lived nearby Silverstone Village and was aware that the airfield was not being used. Maurice and 11 other of his friends raced over a 2-mile or 3.2-kilometer circuit. The following year, in 1948, then the Royal Automobile Club took a lease on the airfield and began to set out more formal circuits. The track itself, aside from Formula One races, it's also used to host MotoGP, the Brickcard 24, D1 Grand Prix, European Drift Championship, Formula Student Competition, and Super League Formula events. After the Royal Automobile Club took lease of the circuit itself, the first two races held in 1948 and 1949 were held on the runways, which consisted of long straights separated by tight hairpins. The track itself was marked off by hail bales as well. It was later decided by the International Trophy Meeting in 1949 to make changes to the perimeter of the track. The changes were then used for the 1950 and 1951 Grand Prix. The track did go through major changes many years later in 1990 and 1991, transforming the ultra-fast track into a more technical track. Following the changes in the early 90s, the first GP winner was Nigel Mansell at his own home race. During the victory lap, however, back to the pits, Mansell did pick up Senna, who was stranded, and Senna did sit on Mansell's side pod after his car had ran out of fuel during the final lap of the race. Fast forward a few decades later, there has been more changes to the track and many more memorable moments. In 2019, Lewis Hamilton's sixth win broke the 52-year-old record for most wins at the British Grand Prix by an F1 driver. The previous record was held by Jim Clark in 1967 with five wins. That record was then broken in 1993 by Alan Prost and then by Lewis. The record is still held by Lewis with a record of eight wins. In 2020, Silverstone held two Formula One races in the season back-to-back weekends. The races, however, were held behind closed doors due to the COVID-19 pandemic. The second race held at the circuit was called the 70th Anniversary Grand Prix to commemorate the 70 years since the inception of the Formula One World Championship. And in December 2020, the British Racing Drivers Club named the pit straight after Lewis Hamilton in recognition of his many achievements. This was the first time in the circuit's history that an area of the track has been named after an individual. So now that you know a bit of history of the Silverstone circuit, and there was a lot, 
again, trust me, it was tough to condense all this information. Let's get into what happened at last year's Grand Prix. So let's talk about Silverstone of last year. Now, I'm not going to lie, I'm really holding in my excitement as I re-talk about this because we're talking about my boy, Carlos Sainz, first place podium finish in his career. Real quick though, before I get into Carlos, I did want to talk about how the foot pedal cams came back and I just thought it was really cool because there was a video, you can watch it on F1's website if you want, and it lets you watch Lando's like feet during the race and you get to see where he's braking on the track. And I know that it's random, but it's just like another way where F1 is sharing this world of driving with us. And personally, my favorite helmet is the, my favorite camera is the helmet one. But I'm not gonna lie, they have this one little camera. I don't know if you guys see it sometimes when you do the driver cams and it's like the front wing or something and you just see the street. I hate it. I always leave the cam right away. Anyways, I just wanted to mention that because I thought it was cool and I would like to see them bring cool cams. Next, I want to jump into qualifying. Let's recap. We saw Carlos Sainz driving skills in the rain. You know, they continue to impress us as he's claiming the maiden pole for Saturday right over Max. This was Carlos's 150th Grand Prix, so he was like already aiming to do something amazing. He had a goal going into that weekend. And he was really aiming to get his first winning podium, the first one of his career. Now, the rain started coming in just a few minutes before qualifying was set to start. And by the time Q3 had come around, Max really had been leading the track through Q1 and Q2. Now, suddenly, right before the end, Carlos Sainz absolutely dominated his final lap on Q3 and he stopped the clock at 1 minute and 40.983 seconds. His reaction post-quali? In complete disbelief because he said that race was terrible. We also had Charles come in P3 after spinning out in Q3. We had Sergio following in 4th, Lewis in 5th, Lando in 6th, Alonso in 7th, George in 8th, Joe in 9th, and Nicholas, who had actually got like a really scary moment at turn 1, he took 10th, and that was his first ever Q3 appearance in qualifying, so good job, Nick. And now we're going to talk about the actual race itself and kind of what transpired throughout the race. So the actual race itself was pretty exciting, but it did start off with a pretty terrifying and scary start. Red flags were almost immediately flying after an incident at turn one involving George Russell, Pierre Gasly, Zhou Guanyu, followed by a separate one down the order involving Sebastian Vettel, Esteban Ocon, Yuki Tsunoda, and Alex Albon. I, to this day, I mean, it was only like a year ago, but still, I can very clearly picture and remember what happened at the start. And it was one of the scariest things I think I've seen, especially like watching F1 throughout the years. Just watching Joe's car, and I'm very glad and grateful and everything that he's okay, and he managed to walk away with no injuries from that crash, which is pretty incredible if you've seen the crash, what transpired it. Thank you, Halo. I know we've talked about the Halo, but thank God for the Halo, because it would be a different story if uh, the Halo was not there. And that accident, however, 
caused the chain reaction, which took Alex Albon out as well as turn one, and he was sent to the medical center. Joe was also sent to the medical center and he was cleared. But Alex was also afterwards sent to a nearby hospital and he required further checking. But after further checking and testing, he was okay and he got released. And this incident also caused an early retirement for George Russell. Also, super proud of George because he stopped his car, he got out, and he went, he ran over to the barrier where Joe was flipped. He made sure Joe was okay. And he was like rushing the marshals over and calling them over. So shout out to George Russell for being the British lad and respectable gentleman that he is. Because that was also just like, I don't know what the right word is. It's it's heartwarming, the right word. I don't know. But to see him care for Joe like that and to have that respect for Joe. I'm sure other drivers would have done that as well if they were in a similar situation. But go George. After a 45-minute stoppage, the cars lined up on the grid again, and at the start, Sainz quickly moved over to cover Verstappen. He almost kind of pushed him into the wall at turn one, but Carlos was able to have a successful defense, and he maintained the lead. Behind them, Perez and Leclerc made contact, fighting it out for P3 at turn four, causing damage to Checo's front wing while Lando managed to get ahead of Hamilton to take P5 at the loop, which is a part of the track. Claire, having muscled his way past Perez, then tried to move on Verstappen into Brooklyn's, another part of the track, and Verstappen put in an incredible defense, but then he pushed Charles off of the track. The stewards noted the incident, but did nothing. Typical. (laughs) Up front... Verstappen was starting to close in on Sainz after the aggressive restart, and Sainz even told his team that Max was quicker, but Carlos had a little wobble or exit off at Maggots Beckett's and ran off track, which let Max pass through quickly. Behind them, Sonoda lost the back end of his car at turn three and hit Pierre, and they both kind of rotated around and hit each other and then carried on, but Yuki got a five-second time penalty for causing the collision and Pierre had to end up retiring later on in the race. Lap 12, and Sainz was back in front. Verstappen felt that he had run over some carbon or some other piece of someone else's car from a debris, and he thought he had a puncture, which he did. So he came straight into the pits, and he saw Sainz and Leclerc go flying past him, and he was unhappy with the car. But the team did say the car was fine, and it wouldn't compromise anything. But in typical Max fashion, he knows his car very, very well. And he knew that the car was definitely broken and something was wrong with it. And you can tell based on the results of the race that there was. So without him in the picture, Carlos and Leclerc had some major battling going on up front. And there's a whole big issue of team orders and the Ferrari pit wall and who's going to push through to P1 or who's going to stay at P2. Because Carlos did have the pace, but Charles did have a quicker pace at one point, but they kept saying Carlos needed to stay up front, and Charles was getting mad, they were both getting mad at each other. Typical Ferrari, but while they were arguing over that, Lewis came out of nowhere and was flying. I mean, that man was flying. And the action during that race was absolutely fantastic, especially... With the overtaking going on and the classic three goes Hamilton line that I'm sure everyone heard during the race last year, 
when Perez and Charles were fighting and that made Hamilton pass through and then the three of them were fighting for the same position for at least a lap or two. I mean, I remember watching that and being like, oh my god, this is incredible. And the announcers and everything were getting into it, but I just specifically remember the three goes Hamilton line and just how excited they were, especially at his home Grand Prix. And Leclerc managed to hold Hamilton off, but he had to eventually then give back the position to Hamilton. And Sainz crossed the line 3.779 seconds up on Checo for his first ever victory in Formula One, like Chelsea mentioned previously, and Ferrari's first victory since Australia in April of last year. Checo finished P2 after recovering from P16 to P2, and Hamilton crossed the line P3, which was a big step in the right direction for Mercedes at the time because they were having a rough start to their season. And it just meant the upgrades that they had put on their car were working. Leclerc had to settle for P4. Fernando Alonso rounded out the top five and fifth. And my guy Lando Norris finished P6. Verstappen finished P7 after having an interesting battle with Mick Schumacher for the position. And Mick Schumacher scored his first F1 points at Silverstone last year and finished in P8. Sebastian Vettel and Kevin Magnussen rounded out the top 10 in P9 and P10, and Haas was taking double points after a five-race drought. So after talking a little bit about history and what happened at last year's GP, now we're going to get into our predictions for this year's GP and what's going to take place this weekend. So I'm going to light some candles this weekend, as I do every race weekend just because Charles already had his time to shine in Austria, and I want Carlos back on the podium. My predictions have not come true yet, probably because I never choose Max. So today, for reverse psychology, I'm going to say I see Max on the podium, fine. I just don't see him in first place. So this is my plan, right? And by the way, I see Carlos in first, so I'm just going to put that out there. For second... I'd like to see Lando or maybe Alex on the podium because Alex didn't have a strong weekend in Austria, but I still have faith in his defensive driving. And Logan was doing a little better. So maybe, maybe he can help Alex on the grid, you know? Lando, no brainer. I think he's a good driver. He did absolutely amazing in Austria. I don't care what anyone says. He was getting fourth. I mean, yeah, he got bumped up due to a penalty, but he still deserved it. And he got driver of the day, okay? He fought with Carlos on the track before falling behind him. And that fight was really cool to watch. And of course, the new McLaren updates are absolutely proving that they're working. And Oscar's going to be getting his upgrades as well. So we're definitely going to see McLaren in the points either way. I just think I'm going to see Oscar help Lando maybe also get on podium. Plus, it's a home race. Like, you have to bring it home. No pressure. Third, I guess I have to put Max here. He's going to be on the podium. I have to place him here. But I'm also going to make a bet because I want to see, you know, like how people have like a thing. They have like a gimmick. I feel like his thing is going to be pulling another last minute pit stop to get the fastest lap because I can see that becoming his gimmick if he's just going to be ahead of everyone so often. He also seems ballsy enough just to do it. In points, give me Alpine. Because SD just really needs it right now. 
I want to see Yuki. Williams, if Alex doesn't make the podium, I'm obviously giving points to Mercedes. And of course, Botas, just for your mullet. I, this week, I'm going to go with a completely different route and way of thinking of how I normally go for my predictions. Because Silverstone is one of my favorite tracks. And it is the home of, like Chelsea said, Lando Norris, who's my guy. And I don't know if anyone else listened to the Beyond the Grid podcast episode that dropped with him in it. But he says that not only does he go harder at Silverstone, but his team also goes harder at Silverstone because it's their home race as well. So I'm pulling a blinder here and I'm putting Lando for a win. I mean, I know he thinks it's completely unrealistic. And if I'm being honest, it's very unrealistic. But with the home crowd behind him, and if these upgrades do some even more magic than what they did last weekend, who knows what can happen? I mean, we all know Lando's a fantastic driver. If he had the car behind him, he'd be winning races. And he did say, you know, looking out into the crowd in Silverstone and seeing everyone cheering him on, it makes him smile and it makes him go even harder and it makes him drive even faster. And he did say, typically in the past, the McLaren does drive well at Silverstone. So, I'm just saying F it and putting him P1. I'm sticking behind my guy. And he's also driving the McLaren Chrome livery this weekend, which is his favorite livery of all time from McLaren. And he's been begging Zach Brown to do it ever since he started at McLaren. So, he's also driving one of his favorite cars of all time. So I think that just adds to hit the it fuels his flame or fire underneath his little butt underneath his tush. And in P2, I'm going Carlos because he won last year and he also had a great weekend last weekend in Austria, even though the team did kind of screw it up for him. But he deserves this P2 and like Chelsea said, I think he is driving slightly better than Charles right now. And he also, I think, ha- will have the fire underneath of him to get his, his second ever F1 win at the same track. He got his first F1 win. So, Carlos, you're going P2. And like Chelsea said, I do think Max has to be on the podium because he's Max. And after he's performing, like you can't not put him up there. So I'm also putting him P3. I just don't want to see him win. I'd rather see someone else win this weekend, if I'm being completely honest. But if none of these guys are on the podium, I also think we could see Charles or Lewis up there on the podium, just because it's Lewis's home race as well. He loves Silverstone. And like Melissa had already mentioned, he's won here eight times. So he statistically does well here. In terms of who I would love to see finish in the points, obviously would love to see Alex, Logie Bear, and Oscar all finish in the points. Those three just deserve it. And after a rougher weekend last weekend for Williams and even Oscar, I'm excited to see what those guys can do, especially since Oscar's going to have them upgraded McLaren this weekend as well. So could he even finish higher up in the top 10, like close to Lando with those upgrades? Because Oscar's a pretty dang good driver. He's the best of the rookies. So what will we see Oscar do this weekend? The world may never know. I mean, to be honest, I don't know what to say anymore 
because we all know that Max will be P1 again, unless of course something happens to his car like last year. Then again, that Red Bull is such a rocket that he even does side quests now. Like, watching the back markers race in front of him and being entertained by it. If you haven't listened to that Austrian radio from him, it is very entertaining. It just makes you laugh. And it's very, like, it gives you a very good insight into the dynamic between Max and GP, his race engineer. It's like, GP just wants him to do his thing, like, focus on the race, and Max is like, yeah, la la la. Anyway. Another side quest he completed is boxing on the second to last lap for new softs in order to get fast lap. And still finishing three seconds ahead of everyone else. I'm like, come on. Because I feel like P1 is set in stone, as sad as it is to say. I want to focus more on P2 and 3. And honestly, the rest of the points. While yes, I fully admit that I am a delusional Ferrari girly, thanks to Michael and Jean. I do think the Ferraris have a good shot at P2 and 3. After all, Charles was P2 in Austria last week, and in terms of Carlos, man, that guy put up a fight for P3. To the bitter end. And honestly, it would have been so well-deserved. Plus, he won here last year, so it's a track that seems to suit him, hence why I think he deserves it and will be on the podium again this year. In terms of the rest of the points, I think Lewis will get P4 because I have it on good authority that Roscoe, his lucky charm, will be in the paddock. I'm gonna give P5 to Fernando because while his form at the beginning of the season seemed to be unstoppable, something feels like it happened. I want to say it was the upgrade that are not doing him any favors, but I don't 100% know. P6, I would say Alex, because he deserves more points, and since Talent doesn't have a GP, and he is half British, it is kind of his home race too. I'm going for a bit of wildcard here, but I want to see Joe in P7, as he had a horrific experience at the track last year, and I want him to create some good memories to maybe slightly counteract those. P8, I'm going to go for Esteban, as the last time he had so many penalties in the race as he did in Austria, he did finish P8 in that next race. So maybe that is what he needs to finish in a good spot, who knows. P9, I'm going to give it to Mr. Saturday, George Russell, simply for the fact that it is his home race. And for the last point, I'm going to give it to Lance, because while he has not had a great showing lately, I think Austria was promising. We'll see where my predictions end up this time, but with the full moon earlier this week, I was definitely manifesting hard for a good outcome. Maybe it helped. Who knows? Now, I love that Ida mentioned that it was a full moon earlier this week because it kind of ties into how I did my predictions this week. I decided to lean into my witchy self And I pulled out my pendulum and my tarot cards and decided to spice things up with my predictions in terms of how I did them. So let's get into it because things get a little bit funky. 
P1, Fernando Alonso. Well, I can tell you I got the biggest yes for my pendulum with this one. I was so surprised. So it looks like we're finally going to get that 33rd win for him. Like everybody else, Max is in the podium. But for me, he is P2. While that is definitely a given, I'm just very interested to see how this weekend goes for Red Bull. And now for me, P3 is the one that really just made my heart so happy. And that is Valtteri Bottas. And I know up until Valtteri, it sounds pretty basic, but the idea of getting to see Valtteri Bottas on a podium for me, especially in Silverstone, and especially since he actually did just get his Mercedes that he's been waiting on for forever. If you haven't seen it, that car is absolutely stunning. I highly recommend you check it out on his Instagram. I just love getting to see Valtteri on a podium. I think he really deserves it. I think his confidence has been a little touch and go recently. Or maybe we're going to see a side quest for him and he's going to get into cycling. We'll never know until it happens. But that's my kind of spicy podium. And I did decide to think about who was going to be DNFing. And that is where things got for me very interesting because I got four very distinct answers. Checo, George, Nico, and Charles. While I'm really hoping that I'm wrong about quite a few of those DNFs, only time is going to tell. But for me, my top to the rest of my top 10 are Lewis, Carlos, Esteban, Nick, Yuki, Alex, and Lando. I get this feeling for that there's going to be some kind of big trash towards the start of the race, um, maybe some track limit violations, but I feel like there's a redemption arc coming for Esteban Ocon. And I'm really excited to see it happen. We all know that the pressure is going to be on the hometown boys and the hometown teams to show up and show off this weekend. But I feel like that's going to make some internal issues start to kick off. And yes, I am looking at you, Princess George. But I'm also kind of feeling like there might be some questionable strategy calls from someone who isn't Ferrari. Now, as Chelsea mentioned previously, I really, really want them to bring back the foot pedal cam. I think it's one of my favorites because I just get to kind of nerd out over people's reaction times. It's just the nerd in me. It, I find it super cool. I don't know if I'm the only one, but I like getting to see either the drivers I view or their foot pedal because I just think it's very interesting. I definitely sense a last minute pit stop from Red Bull because with the power of that car, they can pull it off every single time. The car is just so consistent. And I do think we are going to have a little bit of commotion for Valtteri Bottas's mullet. I feel like he's going to do something crazy with it. I don't know why. I, I, I don't know. The man's going to do something absolutely chaotic. And I cannot wait to see it go down. So for my predictions this round, I don't want to say how I would like the race to finish or who I would want to be on the podium. Um, we're to Michael Scott from The Office. I'm not superstitious. I'm a little stitious. So I'm testing out a theory since the Austrian GP last week that if I don't say anything, mention anything about my favorite drivers or teams or where any of them merch leading up to race weekend, the results are going to be in my favor a bit more. It did work out last weekend. I was pleased with how it finished, except for one of my other favorite drivers. But all in all, I just hope my favorite teams and drivers do well and that I'm just happy with who finishes out in the top three and in the points overall. However, I already know a Red Bull driver, most likely Max, will take the win. That's, you know, 
can't avoid that anymore at this point. So let's just see who ends up on his little post-race podcast in the cool-down room. So now we're going to have kind of our own little cool-down room podcast talking about many different things involving the race and what's going to kind of take place this weekend. So I had already mentioned it previously, but McLaren are bringing back a classic from one of their dominant eras. They're bringing back a chrome livery. So I did read up on it, and the reason why they still have the papaya orange on the car is because the FIA has certain regulations with livery changes. You can only change like one or two colors on the car. You cannot do a complete livery change. And also, Zach Brown wants to keep papaya as McLaren's image and their color from here on out. So that is why they have that. And it's also a part of their Google Chrome sponsorship. So I have to say, everybody knows me. You guys know I am not a McLaren girly. Sorry, Meg. I love you, girl. But I'm just not a huge McLaren girl. But this is, I think, my favorite livery I've seen them do in a really long time. I do kind of wish they could have been able to do a little bit more chrome, but I also wonder about, like, how is light going to reflect off of that? But that's just my graphic design brain going. I wonder practically how this is going to function, but it just looks fantastic. I do still wish there was a little bit more chrome, though I do worry about safety. I agree with the chrome thing. I think it looks fantastic, although I did have some haters on Twitter because I commented on one of the McLaren things and they were like, you need spec savers. You need glasses. It's not beautiful. I was like, excuse me. It looks beautiful to me. It's my opinion. But anyways, I also heard a rumor that Lando is going to be having a special chrome helmet for this weekend to kind of go along with the livery. So I'm very excited for that. I mean, hearing the chrome helmet thing gets me going. I mean, the chrome Vodafone livery um, of the early, or should I say late early 2000s, it's beautiful. But I do want to say, though, I understand why Zach wants to keep the orange because it's a signature color and they chose that orange for a reason because when color TV was introduced, that orange was one of the most distinct colors and easiest colors for TVs to pick up. So it was very easy to be seen. And of course, he wants to have his team be seen. So I have two very different comments that I feel like I need to make. One, I really hope that Lando gives us the most chromed out helmet that he can possibly provide. Like, I want this thing to be blindingly chrome. Like, I, I don't know. I want, like, smack me in the face with some chrome, please, for the love of God. Um, <laughs> but I do understand Zach's need to keep the papaya orange from a branding perspective. It is such a strong, distinct brand color because it's a little bit different than like the orange that Max uses. Like it's just, see orange, I kind of immediately think McLaren. Like even as not being a McLaren fan, it's the immediate word association that comes to my mind like every single solitary time. So it's great branding. Yeah, I think they're kind of going for the whole thing 
where if you draw a car, you draw it red because of Ferrari and the impact Ferrari has had on the whole racing community and racing life. I'm thinking they're going for that and they want papaya to be their color because they use it on all of their liveries in IndyCar, the Formula E, and then the McLaren, is it XE? The big off-roading trucks. I'm pretty sure it's XE, whatever that series is. But they use that papaya for everything. And it's honestly not a bad color because I do have the merch and I kind of, I'm kind of digging the papaya. It's, it's, it's been growing on me ever since I've been a fan. But with Lando's helmet, I'm suspecting he's going to change out the carbon fiber bits and pieces on his helmet with the chrome. That's what, that's what I'm thinking is going to happen. I don't know. Could be wrong. That's just his suspicion but i'm excited because he tends to put out some banger helmets so we'll see if he does lando's gonna be serving tron he'll be a vibe just wanted to add that there that's all i thought about every time everyone started mentioning chrome just chrome that all i thought about was like tron legacy <laughs> so let's let's get that tron serve so on to another brit or rather on to another brit's dog I have it on good authority that Roscoe is already in Silverstone, even though he usually resides in LA. So we'll see him in the paddock this weekend. And who doesn't love Roscoe in the paddock? You are so right, Ito. Everybody is a Roscoe fan. I literally don't care who you are. You can't not like Roscoe. He is just like the sweetest thing on the whole entire planet. Though I'm personally a little sad that we're going to get him in the paddock but he's not gonna get to be hanging out with Ange. I have so many memories of just seeing little tiny blonde Ange carrying him around like he weighs nothing because the woman is in fantastic shape. And I'm just so sad that we're not gonna get her in the paddock this year. I don't know if anybody else has noticed, but as Ido mentioned, Roscoe normally is in LA because we have not seen him at nearly as many races this year since Ange left Lewis's team. I feel like when Ange was still around, he was at a lot more races because Lewis really had somebody with him that he felt he could trust Roscoe with. So on that note, I actually saw online, now this is speculation, I can't be 100% certain that this is true or not. Apparently, Roscoe has been having some health issues. He is getting up there to being a senior dog. Um, so it looks like he was having some health issues that gave him some travel restrictions. And they were like doing something to better his health to give him the clearance to come to Silverstone. So I'm glad F1's dog was able to make it out. I love seeing him. I love all the videos. I follow Roscoe Loves Coco on IG. And anytime I see a post, it just makes my day. And I love it. You don't follow Roscoe Loves Coco on Instagram? Are you even like F1 fan, honestly? Like, I feel like most of the other F1 fans that I know I'll follow that account because it's just like the random behind the scenes serotonin boosts that everybody needs. I've also seen people like complain because we all know it's Lewis that runs the page. I've seen people complain that the way he makes the caption on Roscoe's page is like cringy or gives him the ick. I love it. I don't care. I will fight people on that. I think it's adorable because the way I talk to my dog, it's like a very baby voice and I add all those extra S's and everything. So people can go away with that mentality. Yeah, I mean, that account, chef's kiss. And honestly, now that I think about it, B 
because I didn't get into Instagram like right at the start. I got into it like I want to say end of high school. I I don't know, but I feel like Roscoe was the first F one related in quotes account that I followed. I didn't even like follow Lewis or anyone. I followed the F one dog, and that says something. Because he just unites my two loves, dogs and F1. So, another thing happening at Silverstone. Do you guys remember, or for those of you that don't know, Brad Pitt is part of a F1 movie that's coming out, and that Lewis is actually partly involved with as well. Maybe, Leanne, you can speak more on that. I don't know 100% details. But basically, what's happening at Silverstone is they're starting to shoot the movie. And before anyone like gets excited or worried, they're not going to shoot the movie on the live track like during the race because there were some rumors early on that he was like going to be like an 11th team entered into the race and like driving at the back of the field. It's not going to happen. They're driving between the sessions in a modified F2 car, not even F1 car. But as ESPN F1 account put out on Twitter like yesterday or the day before, Brad Pitt or his character, rather, rather Sonny Hayes, it's giving NASCAR, by the way, the name, has his own garage at Silverstone with like everything, like... The name, his picture, everything looks like an F1 garage. And it's just funny to me. Yeah, and I I can do a smidge bit of insight. There's not too much. Like, Variety has only... There's not that many articles out on, like, Variety and everything like that. But yeah, he, he won't be filming during the race. Like, everyone's tried to make it out. It's literally... He's not allowed... I can tell you right now, that film does not want to pay the insurance to risk Brad Pitt or even his stunt double. He'll just film some shots, get the interior, and then they'll shoot exterior when no one else is on the track. It's going to look sick. I really wish I was actually at Silverstone because, I mean, just I want to be there for it and more for that than really the race just a little bit more uh, just because uh, I love that so, so much. But yeah, everyone's, when all those memes were coming out and all this stuff was coming out about what everyone's expecting of this Brad Pitt stuff, I was just sitting there going, that's not going to happen. Like I, it was, I was like, no, legitimately not happening. I did get a good giggle out of all of the memes that were coming out when this was hitting the Twitter sphere, but I do have to agree with Ito. The name really does kind of give NASCAR its core. But I am really intrigued to see if they actually ask fans to stick around for this filming. So they've got, like, bodies and seats. I don't know. Maybe they'll CGI all in. Uh, coming from the production side, I can bet you they will have signs up. Well, in general, everybody entering that race has agreed to be filmed based off of buying a ticket and being there. So they're kind of already written off. Anybody that really gets like close-ups or anything like that would have to sign a release form possibly in that way. But as long as there's no speaking roles, they don't need to worry about any of that. They don't have to worry about paying them. They don't have to worry about keeping them for anything. 
they do not want to spend the money to CGI a crowd when they have a crowd. Because, let me tell you, hell no. When you guys were talking about Brad Pitt and his stunt double, like, not having the insurance to cover whatever may happen. All I could they, think won't about- wanna, they won't want to pay for the insurance to have it. Exactly. They won't want to. Exactly. And the thing is, like, no, like, bad energy or anything to Brad Pitt. I'm sorry, but he's no Tom Cruise where Tom Cruise will literally like jump from building to building or like be climbing out of a flying plane doing his own stunts because that man is also like on a whole other level wild and everything. But I just don't see Brad Pitt doing that. That's just me. Quick question. Is it a modern day F1 film or is it like an older F1 film? Because I feel like that could also have an impact on the crowd based on what they're wearing. I don't know. I don't know if that's like a thing production wise, but I haven't really even seen a storyline pop out. No, I haven't either. Yeah, I've literally not seen a storyline come out. But regardless, as long as they get far enough away of like aerial shots, they can do like in studio cut ins of people dressed in the proper crowd gear if it is a era that they need to go to. But based off of the way that the paddock is set up for the sunny haze, it looks more modern, in my opinion. Gotcha. I mean, the little that I saw in terms of storyline, it's basically this racer that retired just coming back to racing and like being a mentor slash also racing, like a Nikki Lauda, Fernando Alonso type situation, or even Michael Schumacher, where they were great at one point left the sport and then came back from what i understand but as everyone else said not much info's out there as far as i know so we saw some cute wholesome content from george the past few days uh the first one being that he had invited marshals involved in joe's crash last year at the bridge gp the whole cleanup crew and the marshals that he called over I thought that was really sweet of him to do. It shows that he has appreciation for these important people that work trackside, uh, essentially, in a way, risking their own lives for the drivers and everything. So it was nice to see like how much he was involved, being there for them. And I mean, how cool would it be? You're invited already to the Mercedes factory. And then all of a sudden you see one of the Mercedes like drivers like there. I mean, I would be hyped just seeing anyone in general. Also this week, we saw him, I think it was what, today? This morning, we saw him post some Top Gun Maverick vibe pictures. He actually had the opportunity to be flying in some fighter jets with the Royal Air Force. I was living for that. I enjoyed it. I think it's really cool because like they have like that whole like G-Force thing and everything. But all I can think about is how jealous Lewis may have been. Because I know he had the opportunity to be a Top Gun Maverick and he had to turn it down because of the races. So maybe he'll have the opportunity in the future. Definitely bet you that Lewis was a little bit jealous, but I think we are going to need to do a poll of the group and of our listeners of who did it better, George Russell or Lando Norris, because Lando last year got to do a similar thing. He went up in a fighter jet and he's in the flight suit. And I think we're going to need some voting going on to figure out who did it better, who wore it best. Because I honestly have to go with Lando on it, if I'm being real honest, y'all. Also, with Lando, his race engineer, Will, he went up with him too. So it wasn't just Lando. So I thought that was pretty cool that his race engineer also got to go. But 
it's pretty cool that these drivers get to experience like different things and have fun, you know, instead of just being forced to drive the whole time. But I, I agree with Amy. I, I think Lando definitely killed it in the plane. I don't know who I would have... Who would you trust more driving like a fighter jet? Lando or George? That would be my question. The answer is George. <laughs> the answer is George. I ain't trusting Lando. Yes. Absolutely not. <laughs> I ain't trusting entrusting my life into Lando Norris's hands in a fighter jet. Sorry, Meg. But no. But, but at the same time, who causes more crashes in an F1 car? George Russell. I am, I'm still not trusting Lando. Absolutely I was gonna not. S- yeah. I was going to say, I would trust George to get me up in the air and back down safely. However, I feel like Lando would just be like, let's go crazy and start doing flips and everything. And then, like, Lando would definitely be more fun because I feel like George would be more formal. But I, overall, I probably feel safer with George. See, I'm not trusting either of them. They're literal children compared to me. I'm not trusting those twigs as far as I can throw them. You'd get a better chance of me trusting Lewis. Or, like, at anybody but the youngins on the grid, if I'm being really, really honest. But that's just me. Oh, no. On the full grid, I would only entrust my life in Lewis. But to choose between those two, George over Lando, absolutely not. But overall, the whole grid, Lewis. I don't trust anybody else but Lewis. I mean, I gotta agree, because if we're talking full grid, my brain automatically went, went to Seb. But since he's not in a grid anymore, I'm going to have to go other grid dad, Lewis. Because Fernando, while he's older, he's still a kid at heart. And I don't trust that man. And the others are too young. And then, well, yes, like, we have Valtteri and Checo that are, like, older, in quotation marks. I still don't trust them. Maybe Checo, but then again, I feel like... He would be too much of a dad to do anything. So while I would feel maybe safe, I wouldn't have a good time either. But with Lewis, I would feel safe and have a good time at the same time. So yeah. See, with Lando, I think my hard part with trusting him is that isn't he the same driver who had a hard time passing his driving license test? I'm kind of like, if you can't even pass your driving test the first time, should I really trust you with a plane? I mean, I can't be the only one who has that thought process here. See, but at the same time, there's definitely people who I would trust less than Lando. For example, I would trust Yuki less than Lando. I, I, I would not trust Yuki to, no offense Yuki, but I would not trust him, especially since he's afraid of planes in the first place. No way. No way. Logan Sargent? Mm, I don't know. Probably not. If anything, I feel like I would trust Oscar a little more than Lando if I had to choose between the two teammates. I think Oscar's more mature and he's more like, okay. He he did better than Lando at their driving test quiz thing that they had on YouTube. So, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I'm crazy, but I feel like Logan Sargent may actually know how to fly a plane. I don't know why but i feel like he is that florida family that has an airplane in a hangar somewhere that they randomly take out for shits and gigs i feel like he kind of knows what he's doing i trust him in a boat i feel like he'd have a boat that that's about it 
Now, if you've been listening to us for a while, you know that we like to do a pre-outro before we end out our episodes. And we're doing something a little different. We're calling it a crystal ball moment of the weekend. So I decided to take a page of the Spice Girls book and spice up your lives a little bit with this crystal ball prediction. I sit here with a crystal ball. I am going to predict that we get Brad Pitt on Ted's notebook. And then during filming, he somehow manages to kind of put the car in the wall a little bit. Now, we both know that it's likely that that's not on anybody's bingo card for the weekend, but only time will tell if it actually happens. We're so glad you joined us today for our Silverstone predictions. What are your predictions? Let us know on our socials everywhere we are at Paddock Girls Podcast, except Twitter. There you can find us at Paddock Girls Pod. And don't forget to check out our TikTok tomorrow when my weekend predictions video goes out and we can see how close TikTok comes again this weekend because they only got one in Austria. Also, F1 dropped next season's schedule, so start saving up, PGP girls. We have a trip or two to plan. Thanks for joining us in the paddock. We'll see you after the race. Bye, Craig. Bye, Craig. See you, Craig. Bye, Craig. Bye, Craig. Bye, Craig.